0: Welcome to the Life Purpose Podcast, the podcast that supports you in finding and embodying your purpose. My name is Paul Isari, and I am your host. In this episode, you'll get to hear the second part of my conversation with Stuart Davis. If you didn't already listen to the first part, I recommend doing that first. In this part, we talk, among other things, about mythopoetic identity, how to actively connect to the imaginal realm, the genealogy of the strange, and about how to find one's purpose. Before we dive into the episode, I just want to take a brief moment, less than a minute, to share about a webinar that I'll be hosting soon. It's a free online workshop on the foundations of purpose discovery. It's mainly aimed at experienced spiritual seekers who are turning their attention from the inner work to the outer work. It's for people who have devoted a significant part of their life to deep spiritual practice and who now want to make a difference in the world, but who do not know where to start. If you're looking for a way to get to a place where you feel fully aligned with your calling, a place where you're 100% engaged in contributing towards a better world, in a way that feels deeply meaningful to you, my guess is that this workshop will open up new possibilities for you. You're warmly invited to go to paulisag.com webinar to find out more and to sign up if you wish to participate. Okay, so let's dive into the second part of my conversation with Stuart Davis. I hope you'll enjoy it. So do you have a sense that there may be an image or a symbol, kind of a soul image, that signifies your mythopoetic identity?
1: What a cool question. <laughs> um, Yeah, I do. And I think it's a crow. Oh. Um, I have always, not always, I suppose, at a point in my 20s, this relationship with crows came alive. Mm. And I I guess it's debatable what activated it. I'm not quite sure. I think it might have been my wife and becoming a father. But since then, I have felt very strongly and been in relationship with crows. I mean, to begin with, you know, they're the primary artistic subject that I've rendered in paintings. But also, they really, there have been many occasions in my life when I really felt that my lineage was presencing itself to me through physical crows in the world. And I have a a crow skull that is attached to a very particular piece of wood and it's created into this totem and I use that totem when I'm meditating and it's beside my bed. And then the other image I would say would be a praying mantis because of since 2010, uh, not only the eight foot tall praying mantis, but also the insect variety and my artistic work, it's largely been this conversation between a crow and a mantis for the last 10 years or so. So I would say those would be those images.
0: Hmm. yeah so yeah you already mentioned that you had this experience when you were a child when you got this message from some unseen being or power or whatever it may have been and um, yeah at least in the work that I do and and many others who work with purpose connect soul and purpose to something that's called the imaginal realm. Yeah, uh, yeah. Woohoo! <laughs> and I'm that's curious. my home turf. Yeah. So tell us more about that. How how is your relationship to that realm, and and yeah? This
1: is so cool. Uh, I was just having this conversation yesterday with Jeff Kreipl. I don't know mm-hmm. if you know Jeff Kreipl's work or not but I do. Yes. Yeah. He's one of my favorite authors. And I just strongly endorse and advocate people that read his stuff. He's amazing. One of, one of the beautiful memories of my life is when somebody handed me his book authors of the impossible, which just came to me at this amazing moment when I needed it and could hear it. And it was a life changer and his mm-hmm. stuff is just generally amazing. So anyway, I was talking to him yesterday, uh, because we're having him on the site, the experiencer group, and also, as a guest on my podcast, Aliens and Artists, and the Imaginal came up. And, you know, we began by delineating the distinctions between imaginary and imaginal. And I love <clears throat> how you tie and connect the soul purpose to the imaginal. And, you know, uh, obviously, from what I've shared thus far, my passion and love for the something from nothing lineage and the imaginal figures so importantly in that lineage and that path. And the great, you know, one way I like to envision this is the great um, succession, almost the nested, Russian nested dolls way in which our being is constituted. And so right now in our gross awareness, in our waking awareness, we have this experience and orientation toward the the physical, toward this material, Mm. stable enough, enduring enough uh, set of qualities in which you can touch a chair. It feels like a chair. It's still there the next day. You know, the chair holds its form long enough for that to become a fixture in the way that you're orienting in the gross realm. But then every night we go to bed and hopefully we have dreams. Mm -hmm. You go into the dreaming realm and and there are many ways to describe this, but the subtle realm is one way that I enjoy considering it. And in that subtle realm, there is still a seat of the self. There's still the locus of the self. There's still a subject which is experiencing, but try telling your dreaming self about your waking self. I mean, like, usually <laughs> you're just plumb dropped into another reality and another entire mode of, of experience and expression of that reality. So in that dreaming realm that typically also then yields and gives way to what is often described in Vajrayana as the causal realm. And in the causal, there's still a locus, there's still a seat of self, but you're not experiencing the This is sort of like the last train stop before there's not a self anymore, right? There is one, but boy, the causal body, <clears throat> and the reason, by the way, that I'm into and thought about these three a lot is that, you know, according to some traditions, this is something akin to what happens when we die. You know, we lose our gross body and go to our subtle body and some would say we lose our subtle body and go to our causal body and that the causal body perhaps is the essential self. If there's a self that migrates among many incarnations, et cetera, that the locus of that causal body might be seen to be in that, in the soul, in the soul realm. And so when I personally feel the contours of the imaginal, there's this really nice, beautiful way in which the imaginal simultaneously can put its toes into each of these. It's not as though when we're in the gross, we don't have access to the imaginal. We do, of course. Mm. But it also has a unique quality and a unique set of features as it expresses in the subtle. And then it also has its tendrils in the causal. And so there's a beautiful, universal access point. And another way that I like to feel and experience the imaginal is this great gestating pregnancy up behind my being. Like the way that I've, when I go into an imaginal kind of experience and I'm participating in its creative properties in a work of art or whatever it may be, I have this felt sense that the Umbilical between me and the causal and the unborn, unmade, ever-present origin, the nothing, the nothing that gives rise to each of those three bodies, each of those realms. And the imaginal feels like this beautiful, perfect bridge that's always dynamically offering forth to be a mediary from the nothing. And so this nothing is not... It's not an absence, but it also is not qualities we can describe as we would here in this waking realm right now. Mm. That nothing that's gestating up back behind us all the time and birthing us, giving birth to each moment, giving birth to us, giving birth to our our work in this great, mysterious, unbelievably generous fashion. I mean, it's, it's inconceivable how generous that nothingness is, that... Mm. All it's ever done is gift somethings to everything at all times, in all places, throughout all imaginable formulations. Mm. So I know that's kind of a meandering uh, answer to your question about the imaginal, but that's the way that I feel it Mm. as this critical co-creating mediator, but also participant in how that Nothing gives rise to all of these somethings. Does that make sense?
0: It definitely does. Absolutely. That's beautiful. Hmm. Yeah, and so you mentioned that it's like in when you are creating art, the imaginal is very present. Um, is that correct? And also like what do you do, like, do you, can you do something consciously in order to get a deeper connection to the imaginal realm, get more access to it?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, um, in the spirit of that as well, just to highlight and return a bit, I guess, to the imaginary and the imaginal. So, mm. in one conception or description of that, we could think of the imaginary as a complement to, it's an ally. Of the imaginal. I mean, it's not in contradiction or opposition Mm. to imaginal, but imaginary could have more of a connotation of perhaps an ephemeral or more fleeting um, offering from the frontal structure or maybe a more brain-based or identity-based. Whereas the imaginal, I have much more of a felt sense of experience that It existed before I did, it exists here as I do, and it will exist after I do not exist. The imaginal is more fundamental, more enduring, and and to degrees outside of the stream of time that my identity is unfolding in. So, Stuart Davis's imagination could give rise to imaginary things, but the imaginal is deeper, more enduring, and is, a true placeness placeness. And I think that I should also, I should also recognize the, one of the things Jeff brought up in the conversations that of course, the imaginal also is connected to and has its roots in the imago, which is the full mature expression of, you know, for say instance, a mantis insect. And so the imago as this claimed and obtained potentiation, you know, an instantiation of the great potential and the imago as an etymological root to this imaginal that we're describing, and the imaginal being this reification, this great expression and fulfillment of the potentiation of the human being in all regards, physically, spiritually, uh, all three of those bodies I was just relating. So I think I should just like touch that stone and give a shout out to Jeff in that regard as well, because that's Mm. totally a factor. But in terms of your question around deepening this Mm. relationship to the imaginal, I mean, I think one of the moves that helps us to begin to make culturally, which, again, is beautifully articulated in Jeff, or excuse me, J.F. Martel's book, Reclaiming Art in the Age of Artifice, which is, I would make a little bit of a link, I mean, not a synonymous one, not a one-to-one, but if we think of the difference between artifice and art, there is also a deepening gradation between imaginary and imaginal. So again, as complements on a spectrum, if we can move the seat of our practice as members of that something from nothing lineage. One of the first places I like to begin when I try to deepen my practice or when I'm working with other people to try to deepen theirs is to make this move that is recognizing the interiority of everything that is arising. And I go even so far as to say the personhood. Mm. Recognize the personhood, whether it's a river or a plant or my dog, there are no exteriors that don't have interiors. Mm. And from there, it's not far for us to go that also then personhood is intrinsically present in all that is arising in the cosmos. So when it comes to the imaginal, I make my first move, which is I recognize the personhood of the imaginal. Now, obviously, the imaginal is not a bipedal hominid with a frontal structure and, (laughs) you know, like a, a triune brain or whatever. The personhood of the imaginal is perfectly expressed as the imaginal at all times, flawlessly, without exception. And it's my desire to know that person. I just begin by saying, oh, my gosh, Uh, First of all, apologies, I haven't recognized the personhood of you until this moment in my life, perhaps, but I'm really interested now. And then begin to have a conversation with the personhood of the imaginal. And like any conversation, any good conversation, I guess, would be ask questions, be interested. like Let the imaginal tell me what it is, who it is, what it cares about, what it values, what it wants to express it's just my job to listen like the cool news for us as artists and creators is that when our curiosity blooms around these great questions that you're asking today the big part of our job is really just listening like as soon as you recognize it's not stewart's job to represent the imaginal Mm. i can't and i don't want to like I, i wouldn't know how but the imaginal if i listen long enough and listen. Another part of the answer in your question here is ways to listen. Mm. But if I listen in enough ways for long enough, the imaginal will tell me. It will just beautifully express itself as it is. And my experience, my felt experience as a seeker and as someone who works with artists and experiencers and whatnot, is that in this cool, beautiful way, virtually nothing in the universe will ignore you if you sincerely recognize its personhood and ask it a genuine question that really matters to you. There almost are no assholes in the universe that will like just completely ignore. I mean, there are some, but not, not often. And usually in any of the realms that we're talking about today, soul, purpose, trying to deepen our ways of knowing, listening, and living, if you sincerely ask and you see that there is a person there in the imaginal or in your plant or your dog or your future self, something will speak back. Mm -hmm. And it it will probably speak to you in its language. You know, you're not going to get a postcard. You're not necessarily going to channel the verbatim text. But if you ask and sincerely listen, the personhood will speak in its language. So. That's that's part one of that question. And then I would say part two is all kinds of, um, in the practice of something from nothing, I put together a bunch of different modalities. A lot of them are things that I commandeered and just co-opted from integral uh, practices and um, contemplative lineages that I've been involved in. And then others of them are really uniquely artistic, Hmm. are more particular to... Creative. So the there's a long, long answer to the question that I'm I won't give you today because that's just kind of its own conversation. But I just put together. I wrote a book for myself called Something from Nothing, and I put together a couple dozen practices, and I've come to think of them as like keys uh, or combinations, and the the combination that will allow a person's safe door to swing open, let's say just depends. And so on one day, it might be like, hey, let's try some three, two, one. Let's try some voice dialogue with what this person is that you're trying to engage with. Other times, it could be Salvador Dali's hypnagogic practice of holding a bell in your hand. And as you fall asleep, and you are in the hypnagogic, and the bell drops and hits the floor, you awaken, you go right to the instrument or the paper or whatever, and you begin to document what you're seeing in that hypnagogic or sometimes hypnopompic realm. So there are those kinds of things. I've, I've come to also almost with everyone that I'm working with, we have started doing this practice that I call a genealogy of the strange. And this is one that I just came to from my own life, from my own investigation of the high strangeness and paranormal events that have gone on in my life. And as I did that, and I created this genealogy of high strangeness in my life, I realized a few things. Number one, I'd forgotten a bunch of strange things. Number two, if you don't document them when they happen, they become evanescent and vaporous. So I became much more fastidious about documenting everything with dates and times. And whenever something strange happens to me, If it's in that category, I'm really good now about documenting that in the diary. But then the less obvious thing that occurred to me from doing the genealogy of the strange is that I didn't know the genealogy of my grandma, grandpa, certainly not the genealogy of their strange. You know, my my father was really into... Doing our family genealogy but what i found myself wanting to do was sit down and have a conversation with my grandma my grandpa on both sides and my aunts and uncles and just ask them what's the strangest thing that ever happened to you when did it happen what else was going on in your life when that happened what did it mean to you how did it change or not change your life and this part of my family history is lost to me and i realized that It was also something I wanted my daughters to have. And that I hope it's possible for us as humans to become more cognizant of that and perhaps over time and generations make more of a point of it. My guess is we did make a point of it, that there was probably a verbal history, an oral history that was the norm of this for tens of thousands of years. Mm as long as there's been language, I'm guessing that was probably the norm, but it's not now, now we have amnesia. And those are a few of the things that I do to try to deepen my relationship to the imaginal and in a more broad sense, you know, our our great interior human history and the personhood of our cosmos and whatnot. And there's like another, you know, 20 other things that I'll try, depending on what the question is that's being asked.
0: Hmm. Beautiful. It's like um you you described very much the way in which I instruct people to get, mm, get a deeper connection with their soul. Um yeah. Like um well firstly just recognizing it as, as someone that you can have a relationship with. <laughs> um and then the listening like the deep listening and not listening just to get answers and communication in the language that we know but the soul often speaks in visions and images and symbols and synchronicities and you know not just plain old words yeah, um, yeah. And I'm wondering how you, your relationship to soul and your understanding of soul, because for me, soul and imaginal are very intimately connected. And soul and purpose, the way I understand purpose is that it is our soul that knows our purpose. So, um, yeah, how is your relationship to soul?
1: Well, hmm. You know, this evokes, <laughs> I guess, I'm curious if you want to take this conversation maybe in a direction which has been orbiting my life a little bit more, and in a broader sense this, you know, I was talking to Jeff the other day, and we were discussing this, I can't remember who said this, maybe you'll know who said this. but. I think it maybe was Terrence McKenna, but I keep wanting to look it up and I have not yet, but someone said at some time, the divine is not a boy scout. And the bigger picture behind that sentiment, for me at least, is the real liabilities or risks, or let's just say the great, great force and power that is innate a part and parcel of the divine. And a lot of Jeff's work is particularly a deep dive into this exact question. So he has had this experience where he was in Calcutta during a Kali festival, big annual uh, festival around the goddess Kali, and he had a contact experience with this divine presence and it nearly killed him. Mm. I mean, it really, this is also something that is coming up more frequently with experiencers, which is to say, there's just a a lot bigger story when we start to look at what our contact with truly transcendent forces can be like. Even when they're not malevolent, some of these non-human entities, for instance, just to be in their presence is fucking almost unbearable sometimes. And it's, it's because their place is not this place and our place is not their place, but there's enough contiguous adjacency, that they can come here and we can go there sometimes. And so you get this interesting mix. And I am honestly going to bring this all back to your question about the soul. Mm -hmm. So the power and force of transcendent beings or entities, realms that we have access to, but also could be quite deleterious or at, at best unpredictable to us sometimes. To me, that's part of To some degree the question around the soul because you know i I love and think that phrase the divine is not a boy scout is funny and of course i think there's a there's enough truth in there and i think with the soul and its purpose um one of the things that comes up is you know this realm is no cakewalk Hmm. and it's been good to me and i hope i'm being good to it but holy shit like you don't get out of this incarnation without taking some punches and i think that the bigger story as well is that when we look at the sum total of humanity with the seven or eight billion people and then we look at the sum total of all the humans that have ever lived on earth and we then expand to consider all the sentient beings be they gross, subtle causal be they quadrupeds or insectoid or whatever it is this realm is real it's a real boxing match and, and most of the time it's been utterly dire for an unimaginable number of of beings and so with the soul i think one thing that i want to try to recognize when i consider my soul is like it's it's no mean undertaking it's no small measure to incarnate and to try to deepen and do something meaningful in this realm and i recognize that your soul the listeners of all your souls i think that that really moves me and blows my mind hmm. and and you know and in the funny way that like only the soul maybe can blow the mind in that way <laughs> like the mind is such a diminutive <laughs> echo of what the soul is that i'm sure the mind when it gets a glimpse is just like holy shit that hmm. thing is really wow because it's also indestructible um i also feel like there's this part of it that again this is just my personal cosmology but i think that the soul and the imaginal and the causal these things have been here way way i mean the word before doesn't even do justice Mm. it's not even quite right because it's not before in the temporal sense it's not preceding us in the same way that we're used to perceiving succession temporal succession thinking now there's this moment and now i'm going to go do this and i was 5 and then i'm 6 and then i'm 7 nope in the i don't think the imaginal possesses that variety of the temporal stream but it also is able i feel to change and develop and evolve i'm i was really thinking about this yesterday which is it's so fun to think of the imaginal we're inheriting when we're born, when we're arising in this incarnation is not the same imaginal necessarily that was present a hundred thousand years ago. Mm. And Jeff Krepel felt really powerfully about this, that not only is that the case, but his view would be that it's incumbent upon us to participate in the anomalous and the paranormal and the imaginal in order to per- improve it, in order to deepen it, in order to be custodians and caretakers of a variety that will hopefully give our children a better imaginal than the one we had when we arrived, so to speak. So soul-wise, all of that, and then my relationship with my own soul, it's just very much what you had shared as well, which is I recognize it's personhood. I recognize it's reality. I'm profoundly grateful and amazed by its fortitude and resilience and creativity. And it really also comes with this passport to almost anywhere in the cosmos that we want to go. You know, the human soul, wow. You want to go to the astral? Cool. You want to have a lucid dream? Cool. You want to walk around in a body and have sex? cool you want to like lay with your feet in a stream and gaze at the sun cool literally do you want to go to mars yeah well we're gonna make that happen too or you want to abide in the ever-present void which all things issue and arise from but all qualities but has no qualities itself you can do that too it's astonishing the soul is this wild almost infinite miracle it's like a little cosmos unto itself in that sense Does that answer your question? <laughs> <laughs>
0: it does, it does. Hmm. Let's see. Yeah. Well, yeah, cause you, mm, I think this was also from the um, Something From Nothing workshop. You said something about how oftentimes one's greatest gifts only become apparent fairly late in life. And I think that this can be very encouraging for some of our listeners who perhaps are a bit older and who may feel that they have not really been on purpose this thus far in their lives. So mm. yeah, can you say a little, bit, a little bit about that?
1: What a great question. What a great thought. Um, I love that you brought that up. So the most concise way... I can share my strong feelings around that is with the instance of my dad, my father, Mm. who passed, I believe he was 72 when he passed, but I was with him. And my whole family was with him, surrounding him. The way that my dad died was so beautiful and loving and creative, and it had humor and lightness. And it really also was the single most powerful transmission that I have ever received. And so what I find even more profound in all of that is that my dad for his entire life, certainly as long as I ever knew him, was a Christian. And I would say kind of even a fundamentalist Christian, really. The house that I grew up with in was really your basic Midwestern Christian, Protestant, real old scandinavian kind of values and so that's the christianity that was expressed and that's what my dad held as his path through his whole life but an interesting thing happened as he was dying and i don't offer this to say that it contravenes or invalidates his religious life that's not my point but what happened as he was dying and i was right there beside him and my mom was beside him you know there was these few over a course of a few days, there was a few times he thought he was going to die, and he didn't. And he kind of came back, and he was like, oh, that's a dress rehearsal, I guess, huh? And we all laughed. and But then when he was really passing, the last words he ever spoke, he opened his eyes and looked at me and my mom, and he said, it's a strange world. And we said, what do you mean it's a strange world? And he said, it isn't real. Now, that phrase, spoken by me or perhaps a random stranger on the street may carry no charge or significance Mm. but coming from the being the person the person who spoke those words was already on the other side Mm. my dad was speaking truth he was experiencing that he wasn't interpreting something he was reporting to us it was literally like the last thing he threw over the threshold to us as he was literally already seen on the other side and the unmistakable authenticity of that perfectly emanated from his being. And my mother and I were both speechless because our person was just basking in my dad's presence. Now to your question, what can our lives become? What can we offer and when do we offer it? Well, I think my dad is this ultimate expression of this question because it was his dying moment. He gave me the greatest gift of my entire spiritual life, was just the privilege of being in his presence at that moment. And that was the last thing he did on earth, seven plus decades. So I think right there you go where it's like, honestly, I feel like all bets are off. And maybe even after we die, you're still doing great things for people you love. I don't think it ever, the opportunity ever goes away. And we are depriving ourselves of such great riches and treasures. And as I elucidated with the genealogy of Strange and how I wish I could talk to my grandpa now, like, God, I wish I would have thought of that when I was in my 20s. I wish I would have asked these questions, because I could have got some great gifts. So it's so cool to hear that you do that work with, The people you work with, and I couldn't more agree with you that it's always available to us. Our potential is always there.
0: Yeah, certainly. And I've I haven't myself worked with people that age, but I know that people who are well over 80 they have have done this work with with other people going through the purpose discovery program so it's it's certainly never no one is too old <laughs> to find to discover their purpose
1: right i mean really you know and you also think of i was half kidding when i said after we die I, you know mm. i think that there's a lot of latitude there that we don't know about and i have a very active presence and engagement with my ancestors and guides and allies. And I don't pretend to know how all of that shakes out after we pass, but boy, is there a lot of good accounts. I mean, just go look at all of the information data accounts that were gathered by the University of Virginia under the auspices of Ian Stevenson and his successors. Mm. There's a lot of very, very strong evidence that reincarnation, mediumship, there's a lot there. And I don't have it all figured out, but I'm certainly interested.
0: Yeah, sure. Hmm. Okay, last question. How can we find our purpose? I mean, you spoke to that already in many ways, of course, but um, especially concerning in, in terms of Uh, deepening one's relation to the marginal and and so forth. But um, can you say a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, that's great. That's uh, actually, I have a website, I have a practice that I call the Liminal Muse. And it's just basically the one-on-one work that I do with people Mm -hmm. around something from nothing, around these questions about our soul's purpose and how creativity relates to that. And so um, a few things, just real basic stuff. I think that the good news is It's not rocket science. This is not the kind of question that we require or even desire a more complicated cognition. Uh, We don't need a more, like uh, there's a cool thing Andrew Cohen said a long time ago in one of his books, which is simplicity can see complexity, but complexity cannot see simplicity. and. I think that's a beautiful sentiment. And in this question around how do we find our soul's purpose, I think it's a big one because it's not some complicated thing. It's not necessarily that we need to read more books, uh, ex, you know, expound, expand our brain. It begins with these few basic ingredients, curiosity. If you have sincere curiosity, is it genuine? This This desire, this question we're asking, what's my soul's purpose? If you ask that question genuinely that's like step one two hold the question Mm. sometimes we need to live as the question we need to become the question in something akin almost to the old zen approach to a koan which is how do you answer a koan well you become a koan you don't answer a koan and when we become that question what's my soul's purpose like your half your work is going to be already done there like if you become that living question what's my soul's purpose and then the other ones are the stuff we touched on which is recognize the personhood of your soul ask it questions listen to it when it speaks in its language believe it if it like one of the funny things people will do is they'll be like what's my soul's purpose and then something can come back and they'll be like yeah but what else is my soul's purpose right it's like Sometimes, depending on where we are in life, we don't always necessarily love everything our soul might communicate to us. And I'm laughing because like when I had my mantis entity encounter in 2010 and my soul purpose began to change and it began to change around this understanding that I was being asked by my soul to step forward publicly Mm. and to not only share what I had experienced but work with other people Make it safe for other people to do this soul purpose work. Well, I didn't want to do that. I really did not. I mean, even though I'm an artist and I don't have a reputation to uphold or protect, like I'm already a circus freak. But even so, I did not want to do that. Mm. And so I avoided and I averted and I delayed. And honestly, my soul, and I would say probably some other souls, became agitated and then more emphatic. And this is the thing. If you ask your soul, what's my soul's purpose? And then it says, here's your soul's purpose. And then you go, no, I. What's, what's another one I could have? Like, back to the sentiment of the divine not being a Boy Scout. Well, also, the soul is not always a Boy Scout or a, or a Girl Scout. If you decline its truth and its calling for a long, long time, expect fallout. Like, it will... It's like anything, a denied soul is going to assert itself until that situation is corrected and it will use more adamant measures. So, but I think that to end on a really, really loving positive note, you know, the great news about finding our soul purpose is that it's just not that complicated. We just have to be good listeners and keep listening and recognizing the personhood of our soul in that way. And be sincere. that's really what it is.
0: Yeah, certainly, it's um very much the essence of of how I work with this also. and um, I think what I would like to add there is that it's it's really hard to do it completely on one's own. I mean, it's not so hard to ask the question, <laughs> but it's really hard to hold it <laughs> long enough. To actually get an answer on your own, because mm-hmm. there will be so many things that, um, well, there's just a lot of fears and obstacles that tend to tend to arise. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's certainly much more likely that you will go all the way if you have someone there to support you on that journey.
1: I couldn't agree more. I'm really glad you mentioned that because I think unless we have each other, most of us disintegrate, most of us get annihilated. Like it human beings are created and designed to be together, whether it's in a family or a tribe, like we absolutely have to have each other. So I love that you ended on that. So true.
0: Well, mm. oh, great. So you already said some things about your work, but feel free here to take up some some space and, and share more if you would like to, like, where can people contact you? And if there's anything more you want to say about your offerings. Sure.
1: Um, the basics are stuartdavis.com, which is a, the site that has all of my art, music, TV, that kind of thing, the entertainment side of things. And then there's also the Liminal Muse, liminal as in liminal close buddies with the imaginal. Yeah. <laughs> so the liminalmuse.com is a website where people can go if they're interested in one-on-one work. And then last but not least, the group.com, mm. which is this community we're creating, just in the spirit of what you just shared there, which is putting people together so they can find support, attunement, healing, transformation, whatever their anomalous experiences, be it lucid dreaming or precognition, remote viewing, uh, ghosts, or aliens, whatever it is, we got a very big umbrella. So yeah, those are the three main spots people can find me.
0: Well, great. Okay, so yeah, this has been awesome, Stuart. Thank you so much Thank you so much. I really have uh,
1: really enjoyed it. I so appreciate you having me on. Wonderful.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode. If you're interested in the free webinar that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, you're warmly invited to go to my website and sign up for it. You can find it at paulisari.com slash webinar, or simply go to paulisari.com and find the webinar page in the menu. I really recommend signing up soon if you want to make sure to get a spot, since there are only a limited amount of spots available. I also want to mention that you can find a free purpose discovery meditation on my website. This meditation can be an excellent way to start your purpose exploration. These are strong words, but I can almost guarantee that this meditation will give you at least some piece of new information concerning your purpose. I say that based on that this is what people again and again report back to me after doing the meditation. Okay, that's all for now. Thanks again for listening to this episode. Have a great week and I'll talk to you soon.